Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank. Hello and welcome once again to the College Info Geek Podcast. Now, today's episode is all about the journey, and by that, I mean the progression from wherever you are right now to the point at which you achieve your end goal, whatever it may be. And if you're just starting out in college, your end goal right now might be figuring out what it is you want to do. But later on, you're going to find out something that you might like to do, and you might not be sure exactly you know, how to get started. For some, it might be getting a job at an awesome company that's in your major area. Others might want to start a business. Um, For an extreme example, my friend Ryan wants to become a full-time adventurer once he graduates. And to start out, he wants to travel to different countries and and take part in documentary films, which is a really cool thing. Now, the good thing about all of these goals and all of these journeys is that for the most part, others have gone before you. And Most people are nice, so these people who have gone before you are usually willing to tell you their story and help you to do something similar if you express curiosity. Now, to illustrate that, uh, here's another example. Becoming a professional speaker. This is a goal that I have sort of had for quite a while, and I eventually would like to add it to my own business. Now, today's guest on the podcast is my friend Grant Baldwin, who is actually a professional speaker himself. Grant travels all over the country, speaking at dozens of college freshman addresses, high school, school assemblies, and uh, other events every single year. And when I met him, the question immediately popped into my mind. Like, how, how did you get into that? How does one become able to travel the country and speak for an hour at a time for audiences of 500 students. And I just didn't even know how the heck you even get started with that. So luckily Grant and I became good, uh, pretty good friends over the year, over the years. And on today's episode of the podcast, we dive into those exact details of that question. How did you become a professional speaker? So if you've ever wondered how professional speakers got their start, Grant's got a great story for you. Uh, Grant is a pretty curious guy, however, and he's got the same question for lots of other people that I had for him. And that's why he's launching his own podcast pretty soon, which is aptly titled, How'd You Get Into That? Now, I'm always fascinated by how people with interesting careers got their start, so I'll be diving right into the first episode when it launches on May 27th. And if you're interested as well, I will have the link to his site in the show notes for this episode, which, as always, you can find at sigpodcast.com, C-I-G podcast.com. If you find the page there, at the bottom, there's a list of all the episodes, and the one you want for this one, it's episode 22 with Grant Baldwin. You'll also find all the links that we talk about and quotes there as well. So definitely check it out. Until then, enjoy my conversation with Grant, which also includes some great tips for improving your own public speaking skills, even if you're not aspiring to become a pro speaker. And welcome to the show, Grant. Thanks, man. Appreciate you letting me hang out with you, Thomas. No problem. So uh, I think 
I should probably give a little bit of a background on how we met before I launch into this whole uh, asking you about how you became a speaker. So you probably don't remember it because you were not me, but I was a cyclone aide at Iowa State University a few years ago, and that's basically an orientation assistant. We set up all the programs for the new students coming in, and we were like, we need to find a speaker to make a cool session for all the freshmen coming in, um, doing the whole program they do before classes start. And I'm not sure who found you online, but we booked you, and you, I think you came in and did your personal finance for students session and I remember thinking to myself, how does this guy like confidently stand at the front of this room with 500 students and high five them all and then and then speak in front of all these people? And uh, so basically, I was just really enthralled with how you were you became a speaker and started traveling the country. And uh, I've just been really impressed with your work since then. So, yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. No, I totally, I, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to come up to Ames every year and speak at, uh, at Iowa state and their orientation. And we do a lot of work with freshman orientations and, and helping students prepare and think through, you know, life after high school and how you make that transition. But dude, I, yeah, I remember, um, I remember when you were cyclone aid and, uh, helping out and helping with all those sessions and, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was super fun. It's been cool to keep in touch since then and see uh, what you've been doing with college info geek and how that's blown up. And, and, uh, it's been, it's been a fun journey for both of us. Yeah, it's been a great time. And so now you're still doing the speaking, but you're also branching out into the world of podcasting, which it's good to have you along. And uh, you're doing a show called How Did You Get Into That, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and here's kind of the, the thought behind it is I know for me, uh, I went to college. I actually went to college to be a, a youth pastor and I uh, graduated, did that for a couple of years. Uh, and a couple of years into it, I just kind of felt like, uh, I don't, I don't know that I want to do this th for the rest of my life, you know? And I think, I think a lot of students find themselves in that spot where they, they go to college, they pick their path of travel, they pick whatever the, the, uh, the journey or the courses that they want to be on. And then for a lot of them, they get out and they start doing it and they're kind of like, is this, you know, is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life? Is this what the next 30, 40 years look like? And I remember, I remember talking with someone and uh, I remember hearing the story and they were just saying like, if you're, if you just do something long enough, you just get numb to it. And I was like, <laughs> like, is that what work is supposed to be for the next 40 years? Is you just do it till you feel numb? And like, that sucks. Like, you know, I think guys like us and guys that, and people that listen to your show are people that like, we want to be engaged with our work. Like we want to do something significant and, and meaningful. So yeah, I, I kind of stumbled into to speaking and have really, really enjoyed it. But at the same time, have, I've met a lot of people along the way who have asked me that question of how did you get into that? And I don't think it's necessarily something that like uh, everybody wants to become a speaker. You know, speaking is, is a huge fear most people have. But I think it's one of those things that people are like just fascinated by. Like, that's an interesting career. Like you make a living talking to, you know, high school and college students. How do you how do you do that? How does that actually work? Uh, so it's been um, yes, yeah, so the podcast will be a, a chance for us to just interview interesting, fascinating people who are doing interesting work. You know, people like yourself who are doing something interesting. That's not necessarily what you went to college for. Uh, maybe it's not necessarily the, the path of travel that you intended to be on, but it's, it's something that you found yourself in going, this is a really cool gig. I make a living doing something that I'm, I'm really into. I'm really passionate about. Uh, it helps a lot of people and uh, it's been a, a really cool journey. So if we can help other people kind of find and discover the work that they love to do, then that's, that's kind of the goal. And that's, that's the win we're shooting for. Exactly. You know, it's kind of a difficult situation for a lot of people because you hear on one hand that 
you you shouldn't just stick with work you hate forever. You should try to find something that actually matters to you. And then here on the other hand that you need to, you know, do a lot of work to become actually good at your craft before you actually might even like it or or view it as your passion. So there's this sort of narrow road you have to find uh, and walk down to figure out what it is that you actually want to do. And yeah. it's, it's a question that I ask myself all the time, honestly. No, for sure. I mean, I like when I first started speaking, I sucked at it and I was in, uh, there was enough there that you feel like if I work at this, I, I think I could be decent. But I think that anytime you do something for the first time, you're just not good at it. And the best, like when people, if, if after I speak, students come up and they're like, how do I do what you do? It's the best thing you can do is just get at bats. Like the more often you can speak, the better you become. And that's the way it is with anything. You know, the first time you try cooking, you're, it's, it's a mess. You're not good at it. But the more you do it, the more comfortable, the more confident you feel for you, uh, you could probably bang out a, you know, a 2000 word post much, much quicker than I could. Cause you've done it enough. And you just got that sense of, I know how I've got the confidence and the ability to do it. Uh, now I just got to sit down and actually do it and make it happen. Exactly. Yeah. It becomes sort of a process, even with things that are creative, there is definitely a, a method to it. Once you've done it enough times, like I guess for the, uh, the example you gave for a post, I know that there are certain things that are going to be very similar for most posts, like all the details behind it and featured images and all that kind of stuff. And then I know how to write uh, much better than I used to. Uh, but when it comes to speaking, which I haven't done as much as you, I, I get all scared and I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to fit? You know, I'm, how am I going to talk for an hour or however long it has to be? I'm going to I'm going to stutter and I'm going to run out of content after five minutes. And, you know, there's all these doubts. But once you do it for a while, I'm sure that you have become a lot more confident in your ability to, you know, fill the time and be engaging and all that good stuff. Yeah. And at the same time, like I, I think like anything you do, you still kind of have those, those butterflies and those nerves. And like, man, I, every time I get in front of an audience, even though I've done it a lot and I feel very comfortable and confident, there's still that, that little lizard brain in the back of your mind going, I, I hope this works. I hope they like it. I hope it connects. I hope they laugh. I hope it resonates. Uh, and you just, you, you hope all of those things, you know, come together and accomplish what you hope to accomplish with the talk in the, in the first place. So like, I know for me, one thing that's helped enormously is just, uh, I spend a lot of time prepping and preparing. So whenever I, I actually speak, it looks, it may look very natural and comfortable and flows, but I may have spent hours, uh, in my hotel room or in my house and the walking around the basement, just going over the talk and practicing it like I would actually do it so that whenever I get there, I know where I'm going. I'm a little more confident with it. Uh, I know, I know the, the punchlines. I know the stories. I know the bits. I know how it's all going to come together uh, because I've done it. And it's not like I'm just going to scribble down some thoughts and show up and wing it. So if, if you just wing it and I know some people that do it and that works for them and that's their, their format and their process, that may work. But uh, that doesn't work for most of us. That doesn't work for me. Like I really got to got to think it through of where's this talk going. Make sure that I practice. I know um, where it's going, how I'm going to get there and uh, make sure that I'm ready for that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the people who seem the most, uh, you know, fluid and irreverent, they're often the people who have prepared the most. I read that Chris Rock, the comedian, actually, he went to uh, a bunch of comedy clubs in some city and just night after night he would go and try out tons of different jokes and drill the ones that work best dozens and dozens of times until he knew the exact routine that would be that would work the best for him. So even though it looks like it's completely off the cuff, it's it's not. It's very well practiced. 
No, for sure. And, and comedians are a great example of that, you know, and, and you, you, you may watch a, a 30 minute or an hour long comedy central special of, of whoever and think, man, that's so good. How did they do that? But you didn't see the, you know, night after night after night, like you're saying, like with a Chris rock of going to club after club after club, just trying things and seeing what works. Uh, so like if I get up and I tell a story, it's probably a story I've told before and I know what works and I know I've told it a bunch of different ways. So I have a really good sense of, this works or this doesn't. And this is how the audience is going to react to it. Uh, and if they react to this, then they probably will react to that later in the talk. And so you just know all of those pieces. It's not like you, you know, a comedian just scribbles some thoughts and then they just hop up and it all comes together. Just, it just doesn't work like that. Uh, the guys that are polished and prepared have put in the hours to, to make it work and to, to really formulate and think through what's the best possible way to communicate the message that I want to get across. Exactly. And I remember the first time I saw your your presentation as a cyclonade, I was really impressed with it. And I was like, this is you know, this is crazy. How do you speak like this? But um, through doing the session, I, I had to be there as an employee. So I've seen your personal finance presentation six different times. Oh, so you know it by now. After you six times, it. I can start to see that there is definitely a structure to this and it is practiced. Yeah. And it and, can and, be done. Yeah. And, and that's a great example of having seen, you know, the same talk six times, you know, it's not verbatim every time, but you know, if I'm going to start telling a story, I'm going to tell it pretty close to the same way because I know that telling it that way works. And so it's not like I'm just going to bounce around and just kind of choose your own adventure in my talk. I've, there, there's a, there's a method to the madness. And so you gotta, you gotta know where you're going with it. And so much of that happens ahead of time. Uh, and so for me, like even in, in, in preparation of a talk, I'll actually manuscript everything out like I would I'd write it like I was saying it. And for me, that just kind of helps formulate where the talk is going. And then whenever I get up, I don't memorize that verbatim. I don't memorize that word for word, but I kind of have a general idea of how I want it to go and how I want it to tell a story or how I want to tell a joke or how I want to set up a bit uh, because I've kind of laid it out already on paper of where I want it to go. But it's never like if I were to give you the manuscript for the talk you know, it's, it's not going to be verbatim at all, but it's going to follow the flow of that, of what's on that paper pretty close. It'll be like watching the dub of a Japanese movie with subtitles. That's, that's not the exact same thing that he just said, but it's sort Close of enough. the gist. Yes, yeah, I'm getting yeah, the gist. Exactly, exactly. No, that's <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> one way to look at it for sure. I'm watching The Seventh Samurai every time you talk. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, so I mean, with you being a speaker, I think one of the biggest fears that most people have, and certainly that students have, is public speaking. Uh, one of my roommates has waited until senior year to take his required public speaking class because of that. So I think it'd be great to go into a few of the things that you use to become a better speaker, uh, like technique wise. But first, I would like to talk about the actual journey from, you know, becoming a youth pastor to actually becoming a speaker traveling the country. Like, how did you get into that? Yeah, you're, you're asking my own question. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. You're turning the tables on me. I, um, yeah, so as a youth pastor for a couple of years, I've always really enjoyed working with students and have always enjoyed speaking. And I just hadn't done a lot of it, but I was just, it was fascinating to me. Like, I think, I think if I put some work in, I think I could actually make that happen. So, uh, in college, I worked for a guy who was a speaker and was speaking at a lot of high school events and kind of helped with like the business side of it, kind of helped do the, some of the booking and scheduling and travel and logistic, logistical type stuff. So I kind of learned some of the back end stuff there. And then, um, 
just being a youth pastor, I was speaking, you know, usually once or twice a week. And so that, that built up some confidence for me. So whenever I, I left that job, uh, I worked with an organization, uh, called making it count. And I did some school assemblies with them. I don't think they're, they're even operating anymore, but basically I was kind of a contract employee would go around do school assemblies for them. I was doing, it was like their script, but they were just hiring speakers to help do it. So that was the type of thing where I was able to get in front of a lot of different schools and just to try out their material. But it just it gave me more confidence because I was able to be in a lot of different types of settings, uh, spoken in packed gymnasiums and in packed cafeterias and in auditoriums and in libraries and in classrooms and settings that were that were awesome for speaking and settings where the mic didn't work or the speakers are going out or it was a Friday afternoon before spring break and everybody's mentally checked out. Uh, I spoke at a, a uh, assembly one time and in the middle of the assembly, a dog comes running through the auditorium and just <laughs> zipping around and you're like, all right, crap, how do you get everybody <laughs> back after that? You know, so I was able just to like, be in the trenches a lot. And like we talked about earlier, just getting a lot of at bats that just gave me more of the confidence. Like, okay, I see, like I could, I think I could actually do this. So worked with them for a little while and then, um, I just set out to do it on my own. And so I, I created a website, I created a demo video. I think a demo video is, uh, and a website are hugely, hugely important for a new speaker. Cause it's kind of it's kind of like a, a band. You know, if I told you, Hey, I'm in a band, you should hire me for your, for whatever the gig is. Uh, but I, there was no, there was no MP3 that you could listen to what the actual music sounded like. And it was just based on me describing it. It's like, no, no, our band's really cool. We're kind of a mix of this and blended with this. And then we also do some, you know, hardcore rap on the side. You'd be like, what? That doesn't even <laughs> make sense. But if you hear it, it's like, oh, I can immediately tell this clicks or this doesn't, this works or this doesn't. So with speaking, my first demo video was horrible in terms of quality. Mm. Like it wasn't well produced at all. It was just like a little, you know, mini handy cam type deal that just spliced together a few different clips of places I'd spoke. And so it wasn't like I spent thousands of dollars to get this, you know, high quality produced video. It was just I worked with what I had at that time, uh, and it was enough that someone could watch it and say, okay, I get it. This guy can speak, um, or uh, he's, he's decent enough that I'm willing to give him a <laughs> shot. Uh, and that's, you know, whatever type of artist you may be, you know, if you can show here's some of your work, but if you can't show some of your work, then it's just, it's tough to justify for someone to justify spending any money on you. So, so I, um, we got booked uh, for a couple of things and it was a lot of just continuing to hustle. Like a, a lot of the marketing that I did up front was a lot of email marketing. Uh, I wanted to speak at, at various conferences for students. So I did a lot of Googling and just figuring out uh, what are the conferences where they have speakers that I think I'd be a fit for, who's in charge of them, uh, when are they booking speakers uh, and just getting in front of them, just emailing them, just saying, Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I do. If, if there's anything I can ever do for you, please let me know. So it was a lot of that. Uh, and then another thing that I, I did that I think was very helpful that I think can be replicated well in any industry is finding someone that's already doing what you want to do and picking their brain or just kind of following their, their journey and their path of travel. So that's kind of what we're trying to do with this new, how did you get into that podcast is instead of trying to, you know, recreate the wheel, someone's already carved this path that works for getting into whatever that thing is. So, uh, I, I met a couple guys who were speakers who were successful guys that I looked up to and respected and admired and just spent a lot of time talking to them going, how did, how did you do that? What are events that you spoke at that may be a fit for me? Uh, and so that helped a ton going, okay, if they booked this guy for an event, 
there's a decent chance that they're going to book me at some point uh, for the same event. So it was a lot of that of just trying to hustle and figure out what are the types of things that I would be a fit for and then how do I get in front of those decision makers? Right, right. That's actually, that's an amazing tip. And um, a lot of people think that if you email somebody who's successful and you want to pick their brain or take them out to coffee or something, they're not going to give you the time of day. You know, I mean, I guess it, it, it's sort of intuitive when you don't really know and you think about it. Oh, yeah, they're really busy. But as it turns out, people like to talk about themselves and they're flattered when you email them and say you're a fan. And a lot of times they're definitely willing to just tell you how they got into things and and their advice for people who want to follow in their footsteps. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I get emails all the time from people that say, hey, I want to be a speaker. How do I do that? And I'm more than happy to help because I uh, there's a lot of people that helped me when I got started. And so, yeah, I think it's always it's always flattering and humbling. And, and as long as people are you know, respectful of whoever's time that you're reaching out to. So if someone's emailing me, um, I tell, I like, Hey, here's my cell phone. Give me a call sometime. And I'm happy to to talk you through. Now I don't realistically, I don't have three hours to talk to you each day to walk you through this plan. But if, if I take, you know, 20 minutes on the phone with you and explain, here's the next two things you should do. And then you email me a couple weeks later and say, Hey, I did those. What else can I do? I'm like, cool. This is someone that's taking action, but I'm happy to, some people are like, well, why would you help people that much knowing that they could be potential comp- competitors for you? And it's like, realistically, most people aren't willing to do the work. Like if I told you exactly what you needed to do to become a speaker, realistically, most people won't do it. So it's, it's refreshing when you find someone that's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm willing to hustle. I'm willing to put in the work. And that was when, when I got started as a speaker, I think when you got started with your blog, you're like, no, no, I'm like, I'm going to put, I'm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to put in the work. I'm willing to make the sacrifices. I'm willing to do the hustle in order to get there. I'll do whatever I need to do. And, and for me, that's kind of how I felt with speaking. Like I'm going to make this happen one way or, or another. Uh, and, and thankfully we've been, we've been able to make it work. Yeah. You know, my girlfriend always asked me why I use that word so much. Why do you always say hustle so much? You know, you're like a broken record. But I, I think it's because right. that word really just matters, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You just got to like you just like at the end of the day, like speaking is fun and I love what I get to do, but it's still work. You know, mm-hmm. you creating College Invo Geek is a killer site and it's hugely valuable. And I'm sure most of the time it's fun. But at the end of the day, it's also work. And so, you know, there, there's never going to be a job that you love 100% of the time. It just doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. As much as I, I love speaking, t- uh, travel gets very tiring. I, I miss being away from my family. Uh, as much as I enjoy hanging out with other people, I adore my family. I'm, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. I've got three little girls. So uh, you're fun to talk to, but they're a lot prettier to look at. And so I love <laughs> I love hanging out with them. So uh, there, there's always just that there's always a downside to anything of what you're doing and you, you won't love it a hundred percent of the time. So you, at the end of the day, you just gotta, you gotta be willing to put in the work in order to make that happen. Exactly. And I think that's, that's something that is really good to drill into everyone's head because you get all this follow your passion advice out there. And even if you do find something that turns out to be your passion, like I think this thing is pretty close to what I really, really like to do. It's still, like you said, a ton of work. Like I have a huge whiteboard out in the kitchen with, you know, probably 400 different line items on it of things that I need to do, like lists of recurring tasks, lists of things I want to do, current projects that need to have dozens of hours invested in them. It's just a ton of work and it can get overwhelming. And honestly, like you have to sometimes just say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to set a timer. I'm going to turn off the internet. I'm going to make myself do this. 
because you don't want to all the time, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. It's, um, there, there's little bits and pieces of, of any type of job where it's like, man, this is, this is most of it's fun, but this is just, this is just sucking the life out of me. And so, you know, when you're, when you're starting off, you, you can outsource it if you've got the, the resources or revenue to do it, or you just, you suck it up and figure out this is what you do, you know? And that's, that's the, the good side and downside. You know, if you're an employee, you're probably hired to do one specific thing, but when you're an entrepreneur, when you're a business owner, you are the owner and you're the accountant and you're the tax professional and you're the janitor and you're the IT guy and you're doing all of these different roles. Uh, and ideally long-term you're able to, you know, farm some of that out or just kind of really hone in on what is like, here's what I do best. But when you're starting, that's, that's part of the gig. You're, you're doing it all in order to make it happen. But I think for most people, they would say, well, I could do this because it's better than the alternative. If the alternative is going over there and being, uh, living in, in an unfulfilled life in cubicle land, then screw that. Like, I don't want to be a part of that. That's not worth it. So I think most people are willing to put in the work knowing this is, even if I'm having to do parts of things that I don't like, it's going to be way more aligned with what I want to do long term than my, than what the other options could be. Exactly. I don't remember who said this, but I remember somebody telling me, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather work a hundred hours a week for myself than 40 hours a week for somebody else doing something I don't like. So true. That, yeah. that is the definition of an entrepreneur. We just like, I'm, I'm willing to put in the work. I, I, I'm willing to put in, you know, as many hours as it takes to make it work uh, you know, <laughs> in a healthy way, but I, I'd rather do that than go punch the clock and, and work for someone else ever again. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, even with a career that sounds awesome to me, like being a professional speaker, I know from experience that there are going to be nights when I have to set up a video camera and say my speech six times before it feels right. And right. It's just, there's just a lot of work. That and that's the, you know, like that's the part that nobody sees, you know, like that's the work that people are like, dude, that's so cool. You did that talk and that was funny and that joke and that other oh, change and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's all great. But the, yeah, you don't see the amount of effort that went into it behind the scenes of tweaking it, of working on it. I, I joke with other speakers, you know, when we are traveling, it's like, that's so cool. You get to stay in all these hotels, you get to travel. It's like, yeah, don't get me wrong. It is cool. But, you know, you don't see, again, the time that may be away from family. You don't see, like, the delays, the misconnections, the amount of time in airports, the time where you're, you're getting to a hotel at 2 in the morning, but you've got to be at 6, eight, get up at 6 to go, you know, drive a couple hours to speak somewhere else. And it's just, it's, it can be tiring, you know, and it's still fun. I still really, really enjoy it. And, again, I'd much rather do this than the alternative. But, yeah, there's always that behind-the-scenes hustle and grind that people may not realize goes into something in order to make it work. But I think... If you're, if you're into something enough, you're willing to do that hustle. You're willing to do that grind in order to make that happen. Mm, definitely. I think that the internet sort of exacerbates the problem a little bit because we, we see so many cool people doing so many cool things. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but personally, like I look at great video makers, great, you know, photographers and great artists and podcasters and writers. And I'm like, I feel inadequate because I'm not as good as, as these people. But, you know, when you step back and you think that writer spent 30 years getting good at writing and they're not podcasting or making videos or being a photographer, they're writing. So I have to put in the work somewhere and I can never be as good as all these people because they're putting in work that I can't feasibly put in. 
Yeah. You can't, you can't shortcut the system. You know, mm-hmm. you can't look at someone like a Michael Jordan or LeBron James or whoever and think, Oh, well, they're just naturally good. And they just came to them and it's easy and they just have this gift. And it's like, yeah, sure. The, some of that may come naturally more so to them than, than others, but you don't see the hours and hours and hours and hours they spend in the gym in order to make it look effortless and easy. Yeah. They're naturally good at putting in a crap ton of hours. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's just part of it. That's part of the gig, you know? And so as much as you can enjoy that, work, the easier the work becomes for you. Right. Cool. So you, so you, uh, started out doing the school assemblies, kind of reading off the script that somebody else had prepared for you, uh, and then sort of getting your name out to conferences. When was the moment where you sort of stepped out of underneath that, that scripted shadow and sort of doing your own things, uh, full time? It took me from the time, like I first started, uh, marketing and kind of putting my name out there. It took me about a year and a half to go from no events to I'm, I'm doing this full time. Uh, and I remember, I vividly remember like the very first event I spoke at, um, it was this small little 4-H conference in Missouri and I finished speaking. It went really, really well. It was one of those where you like, I really put in the time, the effort, the work to make it happen. Uh, it was just a killer talk went great. And I vividly remember like going back to my car and just sitting in my car and just like tearing up, just crying, just feeling like, golly, that was so much fun. And I can't believe I got paid to do that. Like, this is something that I want to do. Is it something I want to do for the next 50 years of my life? Probably not. But like for this season of my life, like it just really resonates and just clicks like this. This is what I, this is what I want to do. And I'm willing to put in the work to make it happen. So, so at that point, you just feel like when you, 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 you've been in the lab and you've been doing the work and then you put it out there and it clicks and it connects and it resonates. Then it's like, okay, I see how this could possibly work. Cause some people like we can do the work, we do the art, we create something, but we just like, I don't know. It's just safer to keep it in the, in the corner over here. Cause if I don't show anybody, then I don't have to get any feedback and they don't have to like it or not like it. It's just safer to keep it to myself. But if you're doing something that that's meaningful or going to make some type of impact in the world, at some point you have to be able to share that art and be comfortable with, with the the response. Exactly. And I don't know, for me doing things like that and, and experiencing moments like that, uh, I've always called like the accomplishment high. Uh, you get high off accomplishing something really cool and you feel super good. And for me, the, I have to do something really cool again to feel that way. Um, you know, again, so it's just, I want to continue with uh, the things that I'm doing when I feel that. And I'm sure you felt the same way in that situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you get off stage and you're like, dude, that was awesome. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do that again. That was cool. How do we, how do we get another one of these bookings in order to, to make that happen again? So for whatever it is for someone, you know, if it's, if it's someone who, you know, I, I created a, I read a, wrote a post and it just, it just resonated with people. I got to write another post or I wrote this song or I created this piece of art or, uh, I wrote this line of code and it just clicked. It just worked. It all came together. I got to do that again. That's a, that's a, a phenomenal feeling for sure. Yeah. For me lately it's been, it's been design, honestly. Uh, I redesigned my website and I was just like, this is awesome. It took it took way longer than it should have. And I think a lot of people who see it, it's one of those things where you don't see behind the scenes, like the months of frustration and looking right. at blank Photoshop files. Um, but it's just like I loved that feeling. So I need to do it again. So I'm redesigning my roommate's website now because it's just fun. Nice. And I want to feel that that high again. So yeah. you said it took a year and a half from the point to where you started putting yourself out there to where it was full time. Um, 
in the intervening time, I'm guessing you were you were doing gigs and traveling. But what were you doing to kind of support yourself when it wasn't a full time thing? Yeah, because when I when I left the youth pastor gig, uh, I'd been married for a few years. Uh, My wife was expecting our first child. So it was like a horrible season to transition because literally when we resigned, uh, she was like five months pregnant or so. So everyone's like, and I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't have anything else to like jump to. I didn't have like this huge, uh, nest egg set aside for this moment. Uh, so everybody like understandably. So it was like, have you thought this through? Are you sure? Do you, do you, do you want to, do you have any second guessing on this? And, have you gone crazy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so for a while we're like, dang, did we make a big mistake or what, do we, what are we going to do now? But I think, you know, we had that, that just that confidence of like, no, we're going to figure this out. We're going to make this work. So, uh, for a year or so I worked, I did a couple of different things. I worked at a, a fine dining restaurant as a server and it was able to have a pretty flexible schedule. I was able to make, you know, some decent money while I was working there. Um, I worked for a, a security company doing some sales work, just like residential home security systems. Uh, it was a straight commission job. So it was kind of like you work when you want, where you want. And as long as you're doing something, you know, we're good with that. Okay. So that I kind of pieced together a few odds and ends, you know, cause it's not like you, you quit your, your gig on Friday and then on Monday you've got a full calendar of speaking gigs. Uh, and anytime you're doing client work like that or service work, it, it takes a while. So you have to kind of put together a couple of odds and ends in order to bridge that gap. So for me, it was, you know, working at a restaurant. And at one point I was working at two restaurants and doing some speaking stuff and doing the security stuff and just kind of a hodgepodge of like random unrelated things in order to make it work. And it was just, you know, it was crazy. It was, it was stressful. It was hectic at times, but you know, there was a a method to the madness. It was all a means to an end knowing I know where I'm going. I know as I keep building the speaking thing, what happened was as I would book additional dates for speaking, then I could, I dropped one of the restaurants and then I booked some more things and I could drop the security thing and I booked some more things and I could drop the other restaurant. And before long, you know, you're, you're like, dang, I'm at a spot where I'm doing this full time and it's solely based on me, but I had to piece together enough odd jobs in order to make that work and get to that point. Yeah, exactly. Now, I know in in hindsight, a year and a half doesn't seem like a super long time, but when you're in the thick of it, it does. Um, So were there any moments where you were like, I don't know if this is going to work? Like, why why am I working at a restaurant right now? Like, were there any moments where you doubted your actual ability to make it a full time thing? Or was it always like a steady progression and you could see it working the entire time? I could always I always felt pretty confident I could make it work. And some of that, I don't know if it was just like this innate confidence, like, no, I'm going to figure this out. And like, I don't know if it's a stubbornness or just hard headedness of like, we're, we're going to make this work. But the more events that I, uh, I think, I think you get some, some feedback pretty quick with whatever the art is. Cause if I'm like, dude, I'm super passionate about underwater basket weaving, but I can't find anybody that's going to pay me. And the one person that I did find that paid me said that it sucked. Eventually, you're just going to kind of get enough signals and signs going, I don't know, maybe this isn't the right path for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's like if you ever watch American Idol, the people that audition that are like, but I'm really good. Everybody tells me I'm good, but uh, they're just not good. And everybody knows it. We all know it's going to be tough for them to make a living at that. But I think, you know, the, the a few things that gave me the confidence were getting continuing to get bookings, uh, but just reaching out and hustling and not sitting back and waiting for the phone to ring or an email to come in, but also just kind of that instant feedback of finishing an event. I remember that very first, like that 4-H event I spoke at and right after having a couple kids come up and like, that was so good. Can you come do that at my school? 
and just that instant validation, like, okay, you, you, you know, you can't suck that bad if they want you to come do the same talk somewhere else. So you, you had some of that feedback, but at the same time you, you do, you, I think you, any, anybody always has those insecurities and doubts and fears going, I hope this works. I hope this likes, I hope they like me. This could be a huge train wreck or it could be a huge success, but I, I don't know unless I try. And so I kind of, I kind of felt like that when I started, like there's two types of regret in life. There's the things that you do that you wish you hadn't done. We've all done our fair share of stupid, stupid stuff, but then there's the things that you didn't do that you wish you had tried. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't want to get to the end of my life and be like, I think I could have done that speaking thing. Like, I think I could have make a, made a run at that, but I'll never know. Cause I didn't try. And so I just, I didn't want to be at that place. And and so it was, I was willing to put in the work to make that happen. I was willing to kind of overcome those fears, securities, doubts, all those things to feel like, yeah, we're just, we're, we're going to hustle far enough to give this a, like a legit shot and not get to the end of my life and look back and be like, I didn't even try because I thought I would, I would fail, but to feel like I gave it a shot, it worked or it didn't work, but at least I tried. Right. Definitely. So, uh, I'd like to ask you since now you're like a accomplished speaker, um, and you know, you're, you've been doing this for a long time. To what degree do you still have to actively pitch and actively kind of sell yourself since you're, you know, you, you feel like you're sort of well-known. Um, do you basically just have the phone ringing all the time now, or do you still have to do a lot of outreach yourself? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely easier. The more you do it, uh, the more often people see you, the easier it is to get booked. Cause a, there's a lot more social proof. There's a lot more credibility that I've, you know, I've spoken at hundreds and hundreds of events all over the country. Um, I've spoken at a bunch of colleges. So whenever a college or a high school or a conference reaches out to me, I'm able to say, Oh, here's something similar I've done over in this space with this college and this college and this college that just like, Oh, okay. Well, if you spoke at those colleges, you know, if I've said, Hey, I've spoke at Iowa state, you know, half a dozen times they're like oh well you can't be that bad if they not only brought you in but then they bring you back each year there there must be something that's working there so the more you do something the easier it is to get booking bookings for sure but at the same time like if i just if i just sat back and just waited for the phone to ring all the time uh that works sometimes but i also still have to do a lot of hustle just to remind people hey still here still do this are you interested uh and i'm i'm always amazed like if I send out an email and just like, Hey, you know, if you're looking for an, a speaker for your, your fall orientation, we'd love to do that. And they're like, that's so cool. We were just talking about it. And it's just kind of a top of mind, right place, right time type of email, uh, just to, to stay in front of people and remind people like this, like this is what I do. And so, so much of, of what you, you do is you're continually marketing and selling what it is that you offer which is difficult for most people. Most of us, we just, we don't feel comfortable with that. But I, I just quickly figured out for myself, at least that like, this is how I pay my bills. And so if I sit and wait for the phone to ring, uh, I'm going to starve real quick. And I, I like to eat and live indoors. And I've got three little girls that like to eat too. Uh, and so therefore I've, I've got to keep hustling. I've got to keep reaching out to people. I got to keep making those connections in order to make this work. Yeah, it's it's one of those really inconvenient facts about children. They like to eat. They do a lot. <laughs> I and I'm, yeah. I'm amazed. I'm amazed <laughs> that the, the the older they get, the more they eat. I'm like, where you girls are all so skinny and scrawny. Where does it go? But they <laughs> they they like to keep eating. So they're awesome. Yeah. So uh, I think Mark Echo, who is you know very very well known, he wrote a right. book recently, and one of the things he was talking about is like no matter how well known you are, no matter how famous you are, you're always pitching like. 
Yeah. Your name only goes so far and you're yeah. always you're always just trying. You have to work to keep going. And I've heard that like celebrities will hire paparazzi to photograph them just so they can stay relevant sometimes. And it just really is like your past accomplishments. They do count for something, but they're not everything. Yeah, and you it's, have to it's, do something. it's easier to get in the door at some point, but it doesn't guarantee you getting in the door mm-hmm. uh, at any point. So, yeah, it's it's definitely you got to continue to hustle. I mean, you look at like a big brand, the major brands, the the Apples, the Microsofts, the Cokes, the Pepsis, they still spend billions of dollars on advertising just to keep top of mind and staying in front of people. Uh, and it's the same thing. And so maybe for you, it's it's not taking out an ad, but maybe it's just reaching out to clients regularly, just saying, hey, just touch and base. Let me know if you need anything. And that may be it, but it's enough for them to go, yeah, I've, I've been kicking around this project and you caught me at the right time. And yeah, let's give this a shot. W- would you be interested in working on this for me? Uh, and sometimes it's just, it's staying in front of those people so that when they do need someone that offers what you offer, they think of you. Yeah, definitely. And I will be, you know, I will admit that as my site has gotten bigger, I've become less prone to do that and I need to do it more. Uh, it could be just a combination of being busy and things like that, but it, you know, there's no excuse you do have to keep getting your name out there and making things happen. I think there's this this toxic mindset that a lot of people have of they want to make it. You know, they want to get they want to get to somewhere, and that's like that's where it ends. You know, and in your your imagination, you're like I'm going to become you know a famous speaker, and that's where it ends. But when you actually get there, you realize it's not like you've just done the journey and you're there and you don't have to work anymore. You have to keep doing it. Like there's yeah. still a lot more to do. Yeah, and there's, it doesn't stop. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I, at least in my little niche and my little space, you know, I'm, I have a pretty good reputation and, and speak at a lot of, of bigger events, but I still have to hustle. I still have to regularly keep my name in front of those people so that whenever they do need a speaker that, that hopefully I'm someone that they think of. So, uh, yeah, it's never, I don't think there's ever a time where you've just, you've arrived and now you just sit back and you wait for the bookings to come in or you wait for the phone call or the email or the, the request for proposal or whatever it may be. I don't know that you ever get to that point. I think it's always, you're always continually hustling and grinding in order to, to make it work. Exactly. Yeah, I think the the only way you can really just make it and stop is go back 10 years, dump your savings into Apple and then <laughs> live if off only. it, man. <laughs> if only we we could ride that gravy yeah. train, you but know, it just, just doesn't, doesn't work like that. Senior year of high school, we did a stock game and I dumped all my my fake money into Apple and over the semester their shares dropped 10 bucks, so I definitely like came in last place in the actual game, but I'm just like, man, if I had actually done that and just left it in there, they just did a seven-way stock split. I'd be, I don't know. I'd probably be in worse places. I wouldn't have worked as much. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I always feel like there's parts of a journey that I would be like, man, if I could go back and change it, that'd be nice. That'd be kind of cool. But I, I always tell students, like, I wouldn't change anything about my journey. You know, everything that has happened, the good, the bad, the ugly that has happened up at this point has just helped shape and define who I am. So a huge thing I try to live by is your life doesn't have to be perfect to be great. And none of us, nobody listening to this right now has had a perfect life or will ever have a perfect life. But your life doesn't have to be perfect to be great. You can still create and define what success, what greatness looks like for you. And that's part of the cool thing about life. Exactly. Yeah, you're your happiness in life doesn't really have to equate to whatever your idealistic life is. Sure. You know, you can be happy in your life right now. Like, I mean, if I like asked myself my ideal life, I'd be climbing some mountain in Spain and and doing really cool stuff. I don't even know. And I'll probably do that someday, but waking up every day, 
you know, going to the coffee shop, getting work done, writing, writing everything that I do. It's it, I'm happy with it, even yeah. though, you know, it might not be what I ideally pictured. And there might be things that I wish I would have done differently. I'm happy where I am. You know? Yeah, for sure. I think there's huge value in that and just being content. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, I, I try to every day just you know, wake up and I'm like, dang, I got a, I got a really good life. I wouldn't, is it perfect? No, not at all. It's far from perfect, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade lives with anybody. I, I love what I get to do. Uh, I have an amazing family that I just adore my, my wife and my girls. Now I'm able to do some really cool work, able to talk with cool dudes that are doing cool stuff like yourself. And I just, I really dig what, uh, what it is that, that I do. We're, uh, we're both, we're very blessed, fortunate guys. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's just being happy where you are. Uh, I liked what you said about wanting to try things though, because you don't want to be the person who regrets not trying something. And for me, uh, that's why I have my impossible list on my website. Cause if I, if I want to do something, if I don't have time right now, I can put it on there and I can say, okay, that means I'm going to at least try it at some point. Yeah. I'm going to get to it. And I'm not going to be the person who, you know, wanted to do it, but just regretted not never you know, doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, my, our family, we like to take a lot of trips. We take a lot of travels, a lot of adventures. And we, you know, we have a lot of friends who are like, how do you guys do that all the time? It's like, we just, we make it a priority. Like we set aside money to take these cool trips and we, you know, we do some of the travel hacking stuff that, that, you know, you and I are into and we just, we put in the work in order to make it happen. So I don't want to be the type of person that's like, ah, oh, I get to the end of my life. It's like, I wish I could have gone to Europe. Wish I could have gone to Japan. Wish I could have, you know, swam the great barrier reef or gone to Hawaii or all these, like we do all of those things because we make it a priority to build our life around those. And it's not like, uh, the side dream that eventually someday in 50 years when I retire and sail off into the sunset, I can make happen. No, no I want to, I want to live that life today. And so I want to build my career and just my overall life around, around something that supports that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's just uh living deliberately. You know, not, for sure. not letting for sure. yourself just try to get caught up in the keeping up with the Joneses or all that stuff. Just really think of what are my goals? You know, what do I actually care about and how can I work towards that? No matter what my life situation is right now, yeah, there's always a absolutely. next step towards what I actually want. And then there's a start towards what's maybe what society is normally doing at this stage in their lives. For sure. So, totally. So what's a what's a week in the life for you? Because, I mean, it's kind of hard for most people to imagine, even me, who's I, I could be a location independent, but I'm mo mostly here. Uh, you're traveling all the time. Like, what's what's a week like for you? Yeah. Uh, great question. Every week is different for <laughs> sure. It, a lot of it depends on travel. Um, you know, for example, this past week, uh, I spoke 17 times in eight days and that's pretty unusual. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty high. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a lot. So, uh, I spent a lot of time just trying to not talk, uh, and, and keep the voice, uh, together. But so I, I travel a lot. I do about 60 events a year just all over the country. And it's somewhat seasonal, meaning there there's some seasons of life where I do 17 talks in eight days. And there may be another time where I go 18 days and not do anything. Um, so I try to be very, very deliberate about my business. Uh, whenever I'm home, I'm home. I try to spend a lot of time with my family, a lot of time with my girls. Uh, and then also I've, I've got a business to run. So uh, I try to be very intentional where I'm, um, 
up at, I usually try to get up at six o'clock and try to get a little few things done, spend some time with the girls. And usually, uh, by eight thirty, nine o'clock, I'm in my office in the basement and I work for the day and I've got, you know, my projects and goals and different things that I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, and I think, you know, for some people, they, they're like, well, I'm, I'm home. So I'm just gonna, you know, I don't have to work. And that's the good and bad thing of being your own boss is nobody's telling you, you have to do anything, but again, nobody's telling you you have to do anything. So you could do nothing. And that's, that's not going to get you very far real quick. So I try to just, you know, treat it like it's, uh, like it's my own business and I, I got to make stuff happen and I got to, I got to continually do work and hustle, uh, in order to continue to get the, uh, results that I want to get. Exactly. So, uh, so are you, are you home a majority of the time or do you, do you spend like more than half your time on the road? How does that work out? Yeah, I'm uh I think last year I was gone about 60 nights for the year. So uh, okay. over the uh, it's 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 more than most people, but over the course of the year it's not unsustainable. So that's yeah. the nice thing about about speaking or whatever it is that people choose to do is you can really create it and define it to be what you want it. So I know, you know, I know plenty of speakers that'll do 100, 150 dates a year and that that works for them. Great. That doesn't that doesn't work for me. That doesn't sound appealing. Uh and I know plenty of guys that'll do, you know, 5, 10, 20 events a year and they're totally content doing that and everything in between. So you really kind of, again, you get, you get to describe, you get to define what success, what winning looks like for you, and then just build your life on that. So could I speak more? Could I make more? Sure. But do I want to? No. For me, if I'm a great speaker, if I speak at a bunch of events, if I make a bunch of money, if I change a bunch of other people's lives, but if I suck as a husband, as a father, if I'm a shell of a human being, screw that. It's just not, it's not worth it. I don't want to be a part of that. I'd, I'd rather be a greeter at Walmart. Uh, so I, I like, I like the balance. I like the pace that we've got now, but it's always good to have those just kind of those self-reflection times of is the life that I'm living, the kind of life that I want to have. If not, then what do I need to do to shift, to change some course, uh, to, to course correct, uh, and get towards the kind of, kind of life that I do want to create and have for myself. That's awesome. And honestly, I would have expected that you would have been gone more nights out of the year. Um, so it's really cool that you can be a professional speaker. You can do a lot of traveling. And yet for 300 days out of the year, you're actually with your family. And that makes it sound a lot more appealing, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, I think so. And I think a lot of people have that same reaction when they find out they're like, I just, I just assume you're a speaker. So you're gone, you know, you're gone half the year. You're, you know, you, you fly out Sunday night and you're gone all week and you're home Friday night and you're home for Saturday. And then you fly back out Sunday and you do it again. And it's like, no, 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 not, a, not at all. Like some people do that and don't get me wrong. There are stretches, there are seasons where it's like that. Uh, and so my wife and I, we've, we've, we've got a great marriage, a great relationship where we kind of learn to balance that. And so there are seasons where it's really hectic. It's really busy. Like I mentioned that, you know, I speak a lot of, uh, college freshman orientation. So, uh, that all happens in August. So August is really, really busy, but typically after those things die out, September slows down before August and July, it's a little slower. Uh, December and January is pretty dead. There's just not a lot going on, but the other months of the year, it may be pretty hectic. And so you just kind of learn to ride those ebbs and flows, those waves, and just know that that, that kind of comes with the, the territory. But yeah, if I was gone constantly, that's, that's exhausting and that doesn't, that doesn't appeal to me at all. So I, I, uh, I like the amount of time that I spend at home now. And I'm, I'm confident even today, like if I worked a nine to five gig but didn't travel at all, I'm still confident I spend more time with my family than, than the average person working a, a corporate job. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And honestly, like, I had had this, you know, in my head, the dream that I could just travel full time and always be living out of hostels and everything. But I think I've learned about myself that 
I like to be home and be with my friends. I guess my version of my family at this point in my life, it's a, it it comes through experience and you learn what your values are and you, you have to make those a priority in your life. No, totally. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, again, kind of like what we've been coming back to is you get to define the roadmap of success and, uh, you, the, 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 what, what happens in front of you, what happens tomorrow, what happens for the rest of your life is a blank slate. So you don't have to play by the rules that society would say you have to play by. You can create it and define it and make it what you, what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So in addition to being a speaker, uh, what other like things have you tried in your business to like kind of expand things and, and diversify and how have those things succeeded or failed? Yeah. Well, the part of the challenge of speaking is it doesn't scale at all. So I can be in only one place at one time giving one talk, uh, which is great when you're talking to that audience, but you know, here you and I were each at our, our homes and talking to each other, but, uh, there could be hundreds, there could be thousands, there could be tens of thousands of people that hear this, uh, for the life that it's out there. So, podcasting is definitely something that's been appealing to me and something that we're, we're dipping our toe into to try. Cause I think it's a way to really help connect with more people beyond just being on a stage with a microphone. So, uh, I'm doing as, as much speaking as I want to do right now. And so I don't really want to, I don't really want to figure out how to go from 60 events to a hundred events. Uh, I, that just, again, that just doesn't appeal to me. That's not my definition of success. So, uh, for a while I've been kind of rattling in my mind of what are other things that I can do that can help help people without having to get on a plane. Uh, and so the podcast is something that I'm, I'm super stoked about. And I think will be a, hopefully it'll be a huge, huge help for people just trying to chew on that question of what, do, what do I do next? And, and how do I get into something that I'm intrigued by? I just don't know exactly what the, the path of travel is to, to get there. Okay. So I, yeah. And can you talk a little bit more about what your podcast is uh, going to be about? Yeah. So how did you get into that is uh, will be kind of an uh, part uh, uh, interview format. And then we'll also may do some podcasts from time to time, just some episodes that it's just me sharing some thoughts on life. But uh, I just I just meet far too many people that are doing something that they hate. And I believe life is too short to do something you hate. Like we all have to make a living. We all got to get a paycheck from somewhere. Why wouldn't you do something that you love? And so you and I, you know, we get paid way too well to do something that we would we would do for free uh, if we were independently wealthy and if we didn't need to eat or live in doors, then it would be, would be fine to just do these things because we find, we find them to be fun. So hopefully we're going to uh, be able to, to provide some inspiration, some, some, uh, practical steps for people. Uh, we're going to be interviewing people like, you know, photographers, bloggers, videographers, artists, podcasters, authors, uh, software developers, and even just like some random type of careers. Like we're, uh, I'm talking to a girl who is a cheesemonger up in New York city. And what she does that even mean, yeah, she's basically <laughs> like a cheese expert. And so she works with all of these like top notch elite restaurants in New York city. And she is the go-to wizard on all things related to cheese. Like that's how she makes her living. How crazy, how how insane is that? So for someone like that, who's going, okay, uh, I I don't know that I necessarily want to be a cheesemonger. I don't know that I want to be a cheese expert anywhere, but that's kind of fascinating. I'm intrigued by that. How, how do you get into that? How do you become that type of go-to resource on cheese? So we'll, uh, we'll be talking with her and some of those kind of like random type of careers that are fascinating. I may not want to do them, but it provides that motivation, that inspiration, some of those other duplicatable steps of these are the steps you took to become a cheesemonger. Here's how I could apply that in my own space. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's just so cool to listen to the origin stories of people who do really interesting things. You know, I probably don't want to be a a cheesemonger, but 
I'm going to listen to that episode for sure. Cause I'm curious, like how, how does one go and, uh, you know, become, you know, be a kid and then eventually become the expert in all things cheese. Yeah. I want to I know think, that. <laughs> yeah. When you like, when you look at someone's journey from point A to point Z, we like to focus on point Z like that mm. part's sexy. That's the fun part. That's the arrival. That's the top of the mountain. But like, how do you go from thinking like, I know a lot about cheese and I like to eat cheese. How do I make a living at this to actually making it happen? Like those are the things that I'm, I'm fascinated by. Cause again, 99% of people that may listen to that aren't necessarily intrigued by, I, I love cheese. How do I, how do I make this happen? But more like, okay, if you can, if you can make a career, if you can make a ridiculous living as a go-to cheese person, surely I can do whatever my art, whatever my craft, whatever my thing is, it's stirring inside of me. I'm just not sure how to make it happen. Right. So, uh, when's the podcast launching then May 27th. So, uh, it'll be out and we'll be launching with a bunch of new episodes. Uh, we'll be coming out with, um, probably one, uh, well for the first few months, we'll have a uh, probably two episodes a week and then we'll kind of settle into one episode a week, but, um, some really, really cool interviews, some really cool guests. I can't wait to share, uh, Thomas, you're going to be on there. So I'm super stoked to share that. And just some, some real cool people that are doing really interesting and inspiring work. It's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. And I'm definitely going to hit that subscribe button in my app on May 27th. Then do it. Do it. <laughs> just so I can listen to my own episode like three times in a row. There you go. You know? Perfect. We'll take it. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap up, uh, it would be criminal for me to not ask a professional speaker for some practical tips on actually speaking in public because most students will have to do it eventually. And most of us don't want to do it. So, yeah. Uh, what, what, what are ways to make it easier and uh than to be better at it, I guess. Yeah, I, I think a, a couple things that we've kind of touched on throughout is um, the more comfortable, the more confident you are, the more prepared you are, the, the easier it will go. And so if you scribble down some notes on an index card and you walk up there and that's all you've got to go off of and you haven't prepared, it's going to be a tough run. But if you've, you've prepared, you're confident, you know where it's going to go, uh, that makes a huge difference. Uh, another thing I would say is to tell lots of stories. Stories are very, very relatable. They're easy to connect with. They're also, from a preparation standpoint, they're much easier to memorize. So if you were to ask me, hey, tell me about the story whenever uh, you got engaged to your wife. I, I wouldn't be like, well, hang on, let me pull out my index card and I'll get my notes and I'll tell you. It's like, no, 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 I, sheesh, I live that. I know it. I can tell you all about it. Um, and so it's easier to tell. You'll tell it with more passion. Uh, whenever you tell stories, make them the, your own stories. Like whenever I talk, uh, rarely do I say, you know, once upon a time, there's this man walking down the beach and he saw a starfish and he picked up the starfish and, he threw, and it, you know, this third party story. No, no, I want to tell things that I lived. So whenever I tell, whenever I talk, uh, there's times where I'll tell stories about my first car. Uh, I'll tell stories about a crush I had on a girl in elementary, uh, tell stories about a high school yearbook. Those things are just relatable. Those are all things that we can connect with. Uh, and so whenever I can, I can tell a story, it's easier for me to prepare. It's easier for me to tell, but it also so it, it has a huge, huge connection with the audience themselves. That's easier for them to remember the meaning behind the story. So uh, preparing, um, just knowing what you're talking about, being passionate about something that you're talking about. You know, if, if, if you're supposed to give a talk on something that you know nothing about and that you could care less about, it's like pulling teeth. It's going to be miserable. But if you can give a talk on something like, oh, heck yeah, I could totally do this. I'm totally into this. It's going to be a lot easier to prepare and it's going to be a, it's going to be a lot easier for you to deliver something that you're totally into. You know, again, going back to this cheesemonger girl, 
you know, she, you and I know nothing about cheese. Uh, at least I don't, I'm assuming you don't either, but some has holes. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) And that's about the extent of our knowledge. But if she tells, if she gives a talk about cheese, she's probably going to be ridiculously passionate so much so that I'm actually going to be fascinated in what it is she's talking about versus if you or I gave the exact same talk about cheese. So find things that you're passionate about, find things that you resonate with, find things that you're like, Oh, geez, don't even get me started on that. I could, I could tell you everything you wanted to know about it because I'm super, super passionate and into it. Exactly. Um, when my girlfriend asks me uh, about career things since she's still in college, she I'll I'll tell her, you know, what I think. And she'll be like, you've just gone into presentation mode. And I'm like, what? What what does that even mean? I can I can like see this. I can I can hear this little the shift in your voice, the way you say things like you're now presenting to a crowd. I'm like, "Okay, that's I mean, that's cool. It is the stuff that I'm pretty passionate about. So, right. I suppose if I'm switching to presentation mode in front of my girlfriend, then that would be the thing I should give a presentation about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so for sure. Like, you know, like what's the type of thing that when, when someone, um, speaks up about, you're like, Oh, okay. I got an opinion on that. And you find yourself talking for an hour and you're like, man, I lost track of time and I haven't ate. I haven't slept. I haven't gone to the bathroom. I don't care. I'm just, I'm into this. What are those types of things? Cause those are the th- types of things that obviously click, they resonate with you. You're passionate about. Those are the type of things where someone's like, can you give a 15 minute presentation on, on this? You're like, yeah, I can do that in my sleep because it's something that I know and something that I'm into. And it's going to be a lot easier to convey than something that I have, I have zero p- passion or desire to talk about. Right, definitely. And I think, you know, for me, if I'm just given a topic and I'm expected to speak for a certain amount of time, like immediately my mind's like, oh, I can't fill out time. So but once I start asking questions, like what are questions people would ask about this topic? Then if I'm like, OK, now my my mind can recall the information to answer these specific questions, then the time is easy to fill. Yeah, it's no problem. Absolutely. Totally. For sure. So well, what do you do to prepare specifically? Because I know for me, it's like I set up a video camera. Uh, I'll write not a script, but a very detailed outline and then practice it in front of a camera many times. Do you do that or do you have a different preparation method? Uh, for me, I don't, I, I've, I've never really done the video camera thing, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I manuscript it out. Like I would say it, uh, I print that out and I just kind of walk through that. So I'll take a, you know, a page or two, uh, and I'll just walk through it. I'm kind of reading it and I'm reading it like I would say it and, uh, just kind of pacing back and forth. And I'm kind of thinking through my gestures and kind of just thinking through some of those things. Not so it's like the whole thing is this robotic script, but I just kind of have a feel of, of where I'm going. Uh, so I'm doing that. And then I'm, I'm comfortable with the first page of the material. Then I kind of go onto the second page and then I come back into that first and second page together. So I kind of go that route. And then one of the things I do as well is if I'm doing a talk for a first time that I haven't done and I'm speaking in an event where it's like, Hey, you've got, you've got 45 minutes. We're very strict on that. Don't go 50 minutes. Don't go 40 minutes. I'll time myself. I'll, I'll pull out my phone and run a, set up a running clock just to say, Hey, do it exactly like you would do it. And then just see how much time works in there uh, so that I have an idea of how long this is going to take. So, again, it's not like I'm just going to show up and I'm 30 minutes into this talk, but realizing I've got a, I've got two hours left of content left and I've only got 15 minutes left to cram it all in. That doesn't work. Whereas the opposite is also true that I prepared this 45 minute talk and I'm 10 minutes in and I'm out of material. That that's a horrible place to be. Yeah, definitely. So, Yeah. So the more that you just prepare for those types of things and the more you're actually doing it. So 
Like literally if I'm in the hotel or if I'm at my house, I'll just, I'll pace back and forth and I'm, I'm reading it like I would do it or I'm doing it like I would actually present it on stage. So it's not like I'm just kind of going through a monotone in my head, but I'm, I'm doing it like I would do it. Um, which when you're talking to yourself is very strange and awkward, but again, it's just that practice. It's that, that rehearsal, it's that preparation so that when you're on stage, you have that sense of like, Oh, I've been here before. I've done this before. I, I'm more, I'm more confident. A um, couple other things that, that work well, as I always try to see the, the setup or the venue ahead of time, uh, I try to be as close to the audience as possible. I, I hate when, uh, like if there's a stage and then there's a massive gap between you and the audience, like yeah. the times, you know, you've seen me speak at Iowa state, it's in this big kind of theater classroom type setup. And I will walk the aisles. I want to be as close to the students as possible because it keeps them engaged and it keeps me engaged with them as well. And it just keeps me moving around versus, uh, I, I don't want to stand at a lectern. I don't want to stand at a podium or anything like that. I just want, I want to keep moving and it keeps it interesting for them. It keeps it interesting for me. And some of those types of things you don't, you, you don't necessarily know until you do it a few times. You're like, Hey, this, this works for me. This, this fits for me. You know, if you watch a bunch of different comedians, some of them will walk out, they'll take the mic and they won't move from that spot. And mm-hmm. it works. You know, I saw Bill Cosby a couple, uh, maybe last year or so. And he comes out, sits down in a chair, and he did like an hour and a half of comedy. He didn't move an inch from that chair. Right. But it worked, you know. And granted, he's Cosby, so he can get away with that. Whereas some people, they're all over the stage. Some people are down on the floor. Some people are just, they're moving all around. You just got to do what feels comfortable for you. And you may not know necessarily what feels comfortable out of the gate uh, until you actually do it. So there's times as a speaker where you try something and you're like, whoa, that did not work. Let's not do that again. And there's other times like, hey, that worked really well. Like I noticed whenever I, you know, I did this. Yeah, the other day I saw a speaker, a uh, buddy of mine, and he did something um, clever. And I talked to him after. I was like, that was really cool. How, why, how did you do that? Or why have you been doing that? And he's like, I saw another speaker do it. I was like, sweet, let's try it. So I incorporated it into my own talk. But it's something I'd never done before. But I tried once. I was like, oh, that kind of worked. Just that little trick of the trade type thing that I didn't, didn't ever think of. But, uh, when you try it, it worked. So what are those yeah. types of things that you may not know coming out of the gate, but you do it long enough. And it's like, Oh, I, I pick up on this and I incorporate that. And I pick up on that and incorporate it here. And, uh, it starts, starts to come together. Yeah. I, I heard a lot of those, like, uh, the one where you need to keep the room as close to you as possible and, and stay out of behind the lectern and actually get in front of them. Uh, I read about those in Scott Birkin's book, uh, confessions of a public speaker. Yeah. And yeah, that was a great book. And I love that. I really like the last thing you mentioned, though, was that you took a tip from a friend and tried it out. Um, I've noticed that like just finding looking at the techniques others use and trying them out is really, really good. Like in any industry, it just is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Cause you don't, you just don't know if it's going to work. Like whenever I sit down at a blank screen and I write out a story or a comedy bit or a joke, you just don't know if it's going to work until you get on stage in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. And so you may, you may do something and be like, Oh, that was great. Got to make sure I do that next time. Or you may try and be like, that was a disaster. We should never say that again. And you just, you don't know until you do it. So whenever you do a presentation, you iterate, you, you debrief. Uh, sometimes I, if I'm doing a talk, for the first time, whenever I've, I've got a moment after 
to just kind of gather my thoughts, I'll scribble out some notes while they're fresh of do this joke, do this bit, move this here. This didn't work. There's too much dead space here. Uh, those types of little things that just made or uh, can make or break a presentation, just kind of debriefing in your mind what some of those things were, scribbling them down so that when you get when you prep to give that talk or a similar talk again in the future, you've, you've got some context for what worked and what didn't. Exactly. I think, did you see the movie uh, Prometheus when it came out at all? No, I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, there was uh, they did some like viral marketing videos and, um, the actor's name is Guy Pierce, right? I think the guy who played in Memento, uh, he's in the movie, but they they did like a, like a faux Ted talk. Okay. And, like, and he, uh, he just like made it like a speech in the form of a TED talk, uh, for like the technology that would be actually, uh, format in the movie. I remember watching that video like 10 times, just trying to like learn his techniques for speaking in public because yep. it was done so well. And I mean, like just learning things from the people is super useful. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, like just learning over time to be comfortable in your own skin, because I, I see a lot of new speakers that will come in and they find someone they like and they're like, oh, well, it worked for Tony Robbins. It's going to work for me. Mm. Well, maybe, but maybe not, you know. And, and so if you're just doing you're regurgitating someone else's uh, information or content and you're just doing it in the exact same method and mannerisms as them. And it feels, feels fake. It feels fake to you. It feels fake to the audience. So you still have to, you still have to insert yourself into it. Um, so for example, for me, like I, a lot of speakers, they don't, they just don't talk much about their, their family or their spouse or the kids or anything. And that's cool. That's, there's not a problem. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. They just don't. Uh, and I, I like to talk about my kids. I like to talk about my wife. You know, I've mentioned them a, a few times already here because they're, they're a big part of my world. And so I'm incorporating my world into the talk. Cause I'm, I may be standing on the stage, giving the presentation, but at the end of the day, I'm still a normal dude. I'm a normal human. Uh, and whenever I leave, I go back home and I have, I ha- this is my life. This is my world. So I'm comfortable and I want to share those things on stage. You just got to figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a balancing act between looking at, at techniques others use that you like incorporating them, but also putting your own spin on it and for sure. being your own person. Yeah. A hundred percent. Definitely. Awesome. This has been a great podcast episode. We are just past the hour mark. So I think it's a good time to wrap up. But when people want to get in contact with you, where should they connect with you? And also uh, for the podcast as well. Yeah, doing. just uh, on my website, just uh, grantbaldwin.com. You can check it out. Uh, Twitter, Grant Baldwin. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and then the, uh, the podcast is going to be out uh, May 27th. How did you get into that? Check it out. Put it in your earbuds. Drink it up. You're going to like it. Cool. And are you guys setting up a website for the podcast itself or is it just going to be like an iTunes thing? No, it'll, it'll be through, uh, through my site, grandbaldo.com. So we'll have some, some links there, all the show notes, everything will be linked up there. So, uh, that will be your hub of information and, uh, you can find it all through there. Cool. I'll make sure to get a link up to the podcast when it launches then. Beautiful. All right. Be Thanks awesome. for being on the show, Grant. All right, buddy. Always good talking to you. Yep. All right. Hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend Grant. Hopefully you got some good tips out of it, or at least got some inspiration from his own story for uh, becoming a professional speaker. Um, back from his beginnings as a youth pastor. So uh, once again, if you want to check out his new podcast, it's coming out May 27th. It's called How Did You Get Into That? And it'll be over at his site, grantbaldwin.com. And I'll have links in the show notes to all those good sites that we talked about in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you are liking the podcast, 
definitely would appreciate it if you went over to iTunes and gave it a rating and review. Definitely helps the show out. And I love getting feedback from people who are enjoying the podcast or who want to see things improve because I'm always looking to improve. So until next time, have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.